Hey, I'm Michael Durinder. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 34 of the North Meet South web podcast. Hey everyone, apologies, we did not get an episode out last week. I'm trying to remember why. I don't remember why. Did you uh, wake up you, late? Uh, did you, I? I, I woke was... up. I did no. I woke. I woke up on time, <laughs> and I had a message from you from in the middle of the night saying, "I'm in Indiana with family." And oh, I'm that's going, right. Who, that's what it was. Who just wakes up in Indiana like that? Who? Yeah. Like you, you didn't know you were going to Indiana ahead of time. You just. I don't know. Oh, what I'm, I was, to, I don't I'm know. in Indiana now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We had a really good time. It was a lot of fun. We went to my brother's Brain house. Fried. Where too busy. Have... What's yeah? Good. What'd you get up to? Oh, all of my family was like, so I have two brothers. My brothers were there with their kids. And so we all hung out and watched the kids ride bikes and went to the park. And I'm going to try and throw in some Aussie lingo here. My rallies. I was hanging out with my rallies, my relatives. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we got really rallies. knackered, man. We were up late. We got knackered. And so, uh, yeah. Were your oldies so, there as well or just your rallies? Yeah. My oldies were there. Yeah. Hey, so everyone, I have an Aussie lingo, uh, common language for Aussies, Australian common language sheet here, and I'm going to try and make it through as many of them as I can today. So oldies <laughs> are your parents, rallies are your relatives, and to get uh, knackered is tired. So I was mm. razzing Michael. It was funny before the show started. I said, yeah, I got to take a squiz at this mic real quick. And he said, okay. Which, and then he said, wait a minute. You don't know what squiz is. And I was like, yeah, it's true. Squiz means a quick look. So there we go. So I don't have to That's ask right. you for all this Aussie lingo anymore. I've got the whole list right in front of me. <laughs> I right tell you what, though, naked, naked says tired, but it has other meanings as well. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah. I guess you can you can see if you can figure them out later on. <laughs> oh, so all the Australians are going to be laughing at me because these things that I'm looking at <laughs> don't actually mean what I think they mean. Probably because oh, every single do, but every single Aussie lingo. Every single Aussie lingo thing also has like a backhanded, like, you know, it's a curse word in, in English probably or something. Yeah. 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 It was funny. I caught up with some old work colleagues for dinner the other night. And one of one of the people I used to work with, his partner is from America. And we were talking about her new job. And she said that as part of it, her boss brought in a Hummer. And she like had to clarify, like, that's the car. And I knew what she was going on about straight away. And I looked around the table and I had to tell her, look, that's not really what we call it here. <laughs> so I get it. I appreciate the joke, but it, it fell flat for everyone else. And then everyone's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a Hummer means something else in Aussie lingo. Oh, a Hummer means something different over there to you. Oh, gotcha. Like it's a, just a car here, but we don't use that word. Yeah, yeah, we don't use the word Hummer for that other thing here so much. Gotcha, gotcha. Alrighty. Well, I'm not. I must be out of the loop because I don't even know what that means in English. So I'm, I'm lost. That's okay. Okay. That's okay. Well, but let's not let's not explain <laughs> it on air. We won't. Um, we won't. Okay. All right. There you go. Thank you. You are welcome, listeners. So hey, we've got a couple of things to talk about. Not a ton, honestly. Just uh, kind of catching up, and uh, we could start with. I've got a couple like tip things that I've kind of thrown out there in the last week on Twitter that we could talk about. Um, mm -hmm. or we can jump right into, uh, how the new job has been going for you. 
uh, if you've been learning anything as a kind of like lead dev. There's been anything going yeah. on with that for you recently? Why don't you want? Do you want to start? I'll just I'll just ask yeah. you right off the bat. How have things been going with your new job? Yeah, uh, it's been going really well. It's been very busy. It's still very much getting my feet wet, sort of thing. Uh, I got into work probably two weeks ago now, three weeks ago, and I had my headphones on and I was going about my business, and I got a tap on the shoulder from the CEO. And that's normally his way of like, he'll just tap me on the shoulder. He'll say, hello, I'm here. How are you going? And like, he'll go, he goes around the office and greets everyone. So I thought that's, you know, that was, hello, I waved. And he's he's like waving me over. He could come with me. Like, uh, okay. So I like follow him into his office and the CTO is sitting in there. He's in there, obviously. Oh, no. And the and our national infrastructure manager walks in behind me and then closes the door. And I'm sitting there going... Uh, what's happening at 9am on a Monday morning? What, you know, and they're like, um, so it's about to be announced, but we've just been acquired. Like, oh my gosh. I'm like, this, this is just follows you around. Three, <laughs> three out of my four jobs, the business that I've been at has been sold or acquired or something of that nature. And, you know, they, they started explaining it and I'm sitting there going, you know what, this this actually feels okay. The the first job, the first ISP job I was at was a a pretty big internet provider that was then swallowed up by a bigger provider. There was a lot of that consolidation going on a few years ago as our national broadband network sort of started to take shape and it was obvious that the smaller providers wouldn't make it offering fixed line ADSL in, in the new market. And then my most recent job, they were acquired earlier in the year and the, the new owners there were very different in um, their thought processes in how they went about running a business in the kind of business that they were running and, you know, the work that they were doing and things like that. Whereas this one felt a little bit different. The, the business that's acquired us is called Superloop and they're, they're more of a like national infrastructure provider than they okay. are a retail provider. So they're not really a competitor. They're not, you know, they're not swallowing us up. But it, there's a lot of exciting opportunities for us in gaining access to their national network and then for us to be able to go out and expand both within our own state and nationally. So pretty excited for the possibilities that we've got there. It's not clear just yet exactly what that means for me long term but in short term situation is just keep doing what you're doing so it's been pretty good um it hasn't really affected us too much it's kind of tied up the directors a fair bit you know the, our c-suite staff, sure yeah we'll see suite yeah. you know whatever whatever you want to call them so you know they've been very busy getting all of that sorted out and then one of the directors got married last weekend so he's off on his honeymoon now so so you've yeah. been just hanging yeah, out in the been- office yeah, just been you've hanging just been out. like just been screwing out. around. Yeah, I am. Too bad it wasn't Hacktemberfest. Instead of Hacktoberfest, you would have been making PRs on open open source repos like crazy. Heck yeah. Yeah. are doing that this month. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of Hacktoberfest, do you have anything you're yeah. planning on? Um, planning on uh, we'll, we'll come back to the lead developer stuff in a minute, but uh, you have anything that you're planning on contributing to this next month? Nothing specific that I'm going to contribute, but I'll go back and have a look at some projects I have contributed to in the past and see if there's anything there. I know that, you know, Sparsi is always 
got something on. Frakes always posting little, if you're getting into open source, you should check out this issue on this repo. So obviously check out that. I kind of almost don't want to give away what repos I'm going for because it's like, because it's like, I don't want somebody to gobble up the issues that I'm hoping to fix. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I've got a couple picked out that I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting until Hacktoberfest gets here and then I'm going to hammer on them. And so, yeah, just log. It's just log. That's the one I'm going for. So I've got like two or three. I've got actually a couple open pull requests on there. So I don't know if those count because they have to be like opened during the month of October. So anybody listening who doesn't know what Hacktoberfest is, this is a collaboration between DigitalOcean and GitHub. And what they do is they say, hey, make four pull requests to open source repos and get those accepted and merged in, I believe. And then you get a free t-shirt. I've never done it before. I've, I've, like last year, I remember hearing about it and it was just a really busy month for me, so I didn't get to do it. But this year, I think I'm going to be able to make it happen. So I think I'll actually get four pull requests in, get them accepted and, and should be all set. Yeah. And so I actually also have one I can submit for people to work on out there. Uh, I have a Markdown to Medium repo, which is at markdowntomedium.com. Uh, it's a free little service I've created. Uh, I'm going to go find out what the name of my repo is though real quick. But anyway, the the front end of it looks pretty good. Like I'm I'm okay with like the front facing sort of portion where it tells uh, users what mm-hmm. it is. Uh, but I'm not super excited about what it looks like once you log in. Uh, it's very, very plain. It's very bootstrap-ish. So uh, if anybody wanted to contribute like a design to that or whatever, that would be welcomed. And I would definitely pull that in. And you can count that as one of your pull requests. Or you could just take a look at it and see if you want to clean up any code or whatever. And it looks like GitHub is down. GitHub.com. Can I get there? Is GitHub up for oh, you? Just in time for October, uh, Hacktoberfest. Yeah. And it looks like my video... Flight. Okay, so it's probably my internet. My internet's probably just being garbage here. Uh, okay, so that's that's Hacktoberfest. And uh, back to the discussion about lead stuff. So, yeah, it's been interesting. Uh, we have been we've been working pretty hard on a on a couple different fronts at my job. Uh, it's been interesting. We've had this, the developer that's there, uh, we've got two developers there. The one has uh, been there for about nine months, I think. And I'm just kind of now getting to the point where I can like practice like some deep delegation with him where I can essentially mm-hmm. walk into his office and say like, okay, this is what we need to work on. And then we, and then we'll just kind of like write it all out on the whiteboard and say like, all right, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And I just kind of go through all the steps and spell it out and then say, all right, so this is what I want to do. Can you do that? And he said, yep, and then he'll do it. So what I've learned, though, is that he's not always, and this is just people in general, like you're not always on the same wavelength, right? Mm -hmm. So what I've found has been helpful is to have him, like I'll explain it, like we'll talk through the whole thing. Of course, we'll get some ideas while we're talking through the thing and we'll write those down uh, during the process. And then I'll say, okay, once we've kind of got it all sketched out, I'll read through kind of the entire thing. And let's say, this is what I'm looking for. I'll read through all the steps that we've defined, whatever. And then I'll say, you got it. And he says, yes. And then I'll say, okay, I want you to read back to me what we just talked about in your own words. And so he's got the whiteboard in front of him. He's got everything that we just talked about. It's not like I'm testing him, but at the same time, it's a good way for him to be able to communicate to me and, and make sure that he actually is understanding what I'm saying, because it's a lot easier for somebody to just say yes and nod their head and say they understand it. But when you actually ask them to kind of like, talk it back to you, you can find a lot of holes in the in their understanding. If they don't understand it, then it's gonna gonna become obvious really, really quick. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's been super helpful. Um so it's kind of like reverse rubber ducking. 
right? I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking it out loud for myself and for him. And that helps me think through the process as I write it down. But then I ask him to do it to me. And that, mm-hmm. that allows me to basically see where his understanding is and correct anything before I walk out of yeah. his office. And now I have to look at it in a pull request and a code review. You know, because yeah, that's, at that's that point, frustrating to like, yeah. And, it, and it's, I mean, it's not too late. It's just, you've already wasted work. You yeah. know, it's, it's so much faster to be able to change course when you're writing it out on the whiteboard than it is to be able to change course once you've got code written. Yeah. So I don't know what that's called. I'm not sure if it's called like whiteboarding your code or, or what it's, I don't know what that is, but basically just writing all of it out. I mean, down to the point where like you're naming everything before you even get started. Like you're talking through names, you're talking through concepts. Yeah everything and it's all getting on the board. And then basically by the time I'm saying, okay, it's time for you to code, there are no more questions to be asked. Like he knows everything that's in my head. It's all out on the board. We have names for everything. We have concepts for everything. And now it's just up to him to actually code it out. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in a, I, I, I like it. And I'm in a situation where I'm, I'm kind of the opposite where I don't know the systems well enough to make those kind of educated decisions yet so a lot of mine is sort of feeling out i i get a request and i'm i'm fielding the request to make sure that they actually need to be worked on and then figuring out how to prioritize them but in terms of any programming related stuff i'm not really in depth enough to be able to sit down and have that so when i look at it when the pull request comes in which i've managed to get the other developer to do he started submitting pull requests which is nice um, he seems to be on board with with how that's that's going to happen, but it's not at the point. Like if someone says to me, how do I go about doing this? Well, I'm like, I'll have to go do some digging. I have to go and ask him. We're in a big phase of like documenting stuff now because it just doesn't exist. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would be happy when I get back to that stage because a lot of, a lot of our internal CRM is very bespoke. So there's not a lot of obvious architecture. There's not a lot of patterns in place. There's not a lot of more modern practices. There's bits and pieces sprinkled into place, but nothing, nothing obvious. Like nothing screams at me. Like I was invented in the last five years, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, and that's hard because like you can get away with that sort of stuff when you have one developer, right? You don't necessarily yeah. have to have the documentation because there's only one of you and you know everything, yeah. right? But as yeah. soon as you get two, that's when it's like okay. If we don't start doing it now, by the time we bring on a third, it's going to be a mess. Yeah. You know, so it's like, it's certainly not convenient, like to write this documentation, but it's, you almost have to force yourself to do it. Yeah. And that's what I, what I said to him as, you know, someone who came from a bigger team who didn't have any of the documentation when the team was bigger. I said, we need to do these things now. I know it sucks. Nobody likes writing documentation, but. It's something that is going to help the team grow more fluidly because right now, you know, if we bring a junior on, well, it's going to take us three months or six months or whatever to explain everything. Whereas if we can say, start modernizing the the environment a little bit, modernizing the architecture, we can start documenting. Like if someone comes to me with a request for something and I'm not sure how to do it, I will go and ask the other developer and then I will either I will document it or I'll get him to document it. So, I mean, they have a wiki, they just never used it. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, that's, that's a process we're going through at the moment, just around documentation. And I know it sucks. And when you're, when you're one cog in a bigger machine, like when you're in a developer in a team of five or 10 or whatever, in, a, in an established team, it's not as critical. And I, I have been that 
develop of where I've sat there and gone, Ugh, I'm not writing documentation. Yeah. You know, but but now it's like if I'm going to, you know, it feels like being the guy on the other side of the, the fence now or the other side of the yeah. of the table and thinking about those kind of things. So I I appreciate being having been, you know, the cog in the machine and and being able to just go about my business and but at the same time, as I've grown and as I've developed as a developer, it's you know it's clear now to me why those things are more important, especially now that we're young and we're small, yeah, and we're looking to grow. So yeah, and documentation is one of those things. Like if you wait until you need documentation, you're screwed. You waited too long. You know what I mean? Mm. If you need the documentation right now, yeah. you're probably in like a crunch phase, and it's like. We, now we don't have time to write the documentation. Now we just got to go, you know? Yeah. So you got to write documentation before you actually have to utilize it or else it just yeah. is never going to happen, you know? Um, yeah. Which is why like in, in the industry that we're in, it's really heavy, re- heavily regulated. Yeah. So thankfully we had this whole SOC 2 audit thing that we had to go through before we had any other developers other than myself. And I was forced to write this software development lifecycle document, which outlined, here's how we do code here's how we do code reviews. Here's how we make sure all of our code is compliant. Here's how we make sure we don't have any vulnerable packages. This is what we'll do when we have a multi-developer environment. And then, you know, three months later, we brought on our, our second developer. And it was great because yeah. it was like, oh, perfect. We already have all this stuff. But if I wouldn't have been yeah. forced to write that, we would have never had it and it would never have happened. Yeah. But as it was, yeah. we had stuff in place and, and it was we were all set to go. Same thing is true when you're talking about when you should be hiring. Right. Uh, I was talking to my brother the other day and he's kind of mm-hmm. becoming like a CTO at a, at a company. And, and uh, they were like, you know, when are you going to need more people? And he's like, oh, like, I think I can get to the, you know, I think I can handle everything with the current capacity we have until we get to about 75 employees. And we were talking, I was like, listen, man, here's the deal. I was like, if you wait until you need that next person, like if you wait until you get to a 75 person company and you need that other person, you're, it's too late, you know, because it's what it's going to happen is you can bring them on board and yeah. then you're going to have to train them and they're going to be slow. It's going to slow you down. You're not even going to be at, yeah. your, at your capacity when you bring on a new person. You're going to train them. It's going to take six months to get them up to speed, you know, and then you're yep. going to be able to start utilizing them. So it's the same thing. So it's like documentation and hiring are both the same. Like, don't wait until you need them. You got to get ahead of it or else you're just yeah. it's, you're going to be in, in a hole. Yeah. Yeah, luckily we're not there yet, but it's something that's in the back of my mind that if things keep going well for for this business and and you know we do start to expand, then we're gonna need those kind of things in place. And it was funny, I was I was having this discussion with our CTO over Slack yesterday, and this was this was like I was I was home. It's it's a long weekend here. We've got a like a public holiday on Monday. Walking the dog, and I get this message from him going. You know, I don't like that you've put all this red tape in place around doing re- deployments and I don't want to have one release a week and all of this stuff. I'm like, hang on a minute. Who said one release a week? All I said was that I want to have code pull requested and reviewed because it makes it easier for me to communicate the changes to the rest of the business and understand what is going into our you know, internal systems that people are using so that I don't look like an idiot when they come to me like a week later and go, what's this? Or how does this work? And it's the first yeah. I've heard of it. So I think there was some misconceptions presented to him from other members of the business, which ended up coming like it's it's all fine now, but Yeah, wait just wait until wait until that code review catches the first mistake that would have gone to production. 
and then he'll be, you know, thanking you for putting that in place. Because yeah. I mean, that's just it's gonna happen, right? So yeah, because he's like, oh, you know, I don't, I, I don't want little changes to be held up for a week, re- weekly release. And I said, well, it's not about holding up changes for a week. It's about batching them up. It's about not. It's it's a little bit different when you've got a diverse product, I think, than when you've got like a SaaS. A SaaS is a very specific set of things that you can do. Whereas when you're building a CRM, like we are, for better or worse, there are lots of moving parts, lots of things affect other things. And it's really important to be able to document and communicate those changes ahead of time, which doesn't happen or hasn't happened in the past. It's just been like a request has come in, it's worked on at some point later and then it's deployed and then maybe an email will be sent saying this is done. So now it's all about you know rolling those changes up into a release actually doing notification that the release is going to happen, notifying that the release is finished, documenting in a change log at a very high level. These are the pull requests that were included. These were some other miscellaneous changes linking to the commits so that any developer looking at it knows what it is. But if someone comes to me, you know, in a week or whatever and says, what what changed here on this day? Well, you can go back and look at the release and say, well, this is what we did. This is why, this is what it looks like and all that kind of stuff. So I said... I think the, the the most important thing that I'd said, the point I was trying to get across was as someone who's been subject to lots of red tape, I am very aware of when that red tape is going to get in the way and I'm not going to implement policies and follow procedures that are going to just get in everyone's way because sure. then yeah, they're there for a purpose. Um, nothing gets done. Yeah, then, then nothing gets done. No, Nobody's happy and people will just resent those policies and those procedures and they will just try and do their own thing anyway. I said, everyone has to work, you know, there's a bit of a give and take and everybody has to work with each other to make sure that everyone's sort of satisfied about the way we're going forward. And I said, you know, this is the reason that, that I refuse to use the ticketing system that they had in place because it doesn't work for the way that developers write code. Like the ticketing system is more of a, a support ticketing system where email comes in, Someone replies to it backwards and forwards. It's not It's not a good way. Like it's at a high level, it's okay to track that some project needs to be done. But in terms of all of the bits and pieces that make up that project, the, the ticket doesn't capture that. And there's a lot of the supporting stuff. Like you said, the whiteboarding I did. I've got a project that I'm working on at the moment that involves three or so different departments. The contact center, it involves our network team and our provisioning teams. And so I said, you know, I've got to go and do the requirements. And it was interesting, number one, that they're like, wait, you're doing requirements because, you know, that hasn't happened in a small small business. It's like... Meaning you're just going around to each department and kind of gathering up information about what each per, each set of people needs. Is yeah. that what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. So the, the idea being, you know, I'll go to each of those departments that need it and I'll say, what is your wish list for this thing? And then at least I can find out what the commonality is between all of the departments and go, right, that's the baseline. Those are the, that's the first thing that needs to be built because three different people have all told me they need the same thing. Yeah. So it's much easier to prioritize it that way. Whereas if you go to one person and start building that, then you speak to the next person, you go, hang on, I've got to go back and do this. So, And I said, look, it sounds like you do something and one of the other people do their own thing that you don't really know about. And this is part of the problem. And they're like, oh, well, they usually do it outside of the system. I said, well, we're building a new one so that we can make sure that everyone gets their input into it. So there's, I think that's a bit of a culture shock for them that that we that I'm doing this upfront sort of requirement stuff. 
And and it's interesting doing that, that I sat down on like on a whiteboard, we went through all of the dot points around, you know, the pain points, what the problem is, what, you know, what they're trying to achieve. And I had one of the people that I was working with trying to tell me like, on this page, I want to have a button that does this. And, it had, and I said, no, 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 no. We don't want to look at how we're going to fix it. Yeah, I want right. to know what the problem is. Right, right. So that I can understand. Because I said, I don't understand any of the wireless side of things. It's not my job necessarily to know exactly how you do that side of the thing. That's that's your specialty area. My specialty area is understanding your requirements and then building, you know, coming up with a solution, coming up with some application that helps right. you get your job done. Right. You're like so, a problem solver specialist. That's like your job as a yeah. developer, right? Like, yeah. So I remember one thing that I heard at a conference, they said, uh, and I might have said this before, but uh, when a user comes to you with a solution, they're almost always wrong. When they come to you with a problem, they're almost always right. Meaning yeah. like if they come to you with like a, Hey, I need, I need a button. Mm, well, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not how this works. Like come yeah. to me and tell me what the problem is and I can help you figure out a good solution. Not that they're too dumb to figure out the solution, but they don't know the pieces, right? They don't know the abilities that you have to be able to, yeah. or what you've already built. Right. So yeah. uh, the thing you always want to do, right. Is when somebody comes to you with that solution, you want to ask the question why until it sounds stupid to ask it again. Right. So just kidding. Why do you need that button? Well, because I need to, you know, send yeah. an email. Well, why do you need to send that email? Well, because this, this user is getting an outage. Well, why are they having an outage? Well, because they keep mm. kicking the plug out of the wall. Okay, you don't need a button. You need a surge protector. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just, you got you to gotta figure out what the root of the problem is. And if you don't, then you're basically just going to end up creating a lot of, a lot of garbage uh, is what I've yeah. found in our, in our specific situation. You create a lot of stuff five times because they don't know the solutions that are already in place. So they come and say, I need mm -hmm. this. And you say, well, actually, we already solved that with this over here. And they, oh, yeah, I didn't know about that. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's the other thing, you know, that that the solution is already there and they don't know about it. And so, you know, that's where communication comes into it as well. But I've found in, in my experience, at least when someone comes to me and says, I want a button, it's because their perception is, is just a button. They don't know what's happening when they click that button. They don't know what happens, you know, you tick a checkbox and there might be four or five things that happen when you submit that page. They don't know that that's, you know, not what they're worried about. All they do, all they are aware of is that they click a button and then this thing happens. Right. So it's a, it's a matter of, yeah, as you say, teasing out the details around the what happens when that button is pressed. Yeah. That's like half your job as a developer, right? Like that's so I you were about to say a little bit ago, like think people have this idea that this the developer goes into their black hole, you know, their office for like a week and a half and come out with amazing solution. And or like, you know, this some somehow this idea that like developers are antisocial. And it's like anything but that is the truth. Right. Mm. You you've got to talk to people. You've got to talk to the stakeholders. You've got to talk to the people who are involved and do a lot of talking actually to figure out and get to the root of the problems so that you can come up with a good solution. Yeah. So yeah. Hey, um, there's something I really wanted to talk about in the last, I don't know, before we get to the end of the show, we're at about 29 minutes right now. Is now a good time? What are you, what are you telling us? What do you want to talk about? <laughs> what uh, did you do? Are you going to jail? I'm, I'm quitting the internet. No, I'm just kidding. <sighs> okay. So here was the big thing. I remembered what I wanted to talk about. That was really hugely empowering. There's been a couple things like this that have really kind of freed me from the, the shackles of IIS. So you've heard my woes that I have to host Laravel on an IIS box. You've heard yes. this? Yes. Okay. Yes. So this is painful. I, for any of you who are out there who have to host anything PHP Laravel related on an IIS box, I am sorry for you. I feel your pain. 
One of the things that's a pain with it is that um, scheduler is really hard to get to work on an IIS box. We figured it out with this thing called Fire Daemon, which works. It's like supervisor for Windows. Uh, the other piece that's annoying is like auto deployment. You can't use like Envoyer on an IIS box, of course. You can't deploy boxes with Forge on an IIS box, right? So the couple of things that I've wanted to do is I've wanted to do like Linux. I wanted to have everything on Linux boxes. So it's very like standard. I wanted to be able to do provisioning with Forge and deployments with Envoyer, which I've, I'm able to do for the most part now. But there were still a couple of things that I wasn't able to do that for. One reason why is because I needed to be able to talk to the Windows file system. Okay, so essentially what we did is we built this API that sat in front of the Windows file system. So we had this one Laravel site that was still on IIS. Yeah. And it essentially interacted with the file system and it was just a microservice. That's like anything that we needed to do that was on the file system in Windows, we would talk to it, this little machine Mm -hmm. tasks is what we called it. And so for instance, if I had... We have this legacy database that's sitting uh, there and we need to get a bunch of files from it. And so we tell it, hey, write these files out and it can only write to the Windows file system. So it writes to the Windows file system. Then we tell tasks, hey, I need that file. So let me start with the legacy database that was in the background and we tell it we need this file. It would put it on the local Windows file system and then we'd have to upload that file from tasks. We'd have to upload it to S3 and then send a webhook to the consuming application. And the consuming application would then go grab it from S3, delete it. It was just a this song and dance. It was so ridiculous. So yeah. I knew if I could figure out some way to be able to interface with the Windows file system from a Linux box consistently that I could be freed from this beast of burden. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. found it. Yes. Yes, it? I found it. So Paul Redman had an article out there the other day about Minio. Did you see this? Yes, I did. That's okay. the, the S3 testing. It is an S3 local, local yeah. testing thing. Yeah, right. So what it does is his his post basically said, you can have a disk on your Mac or just a folder on your Mac. And essentially what you can do is you can download this Minio thing with Brew and you can point it at that folder and you can say Minio server and you can say point to this folder. And then what that does mm-hmm. is that gives you a little spot on your computer and this minio server exposes an api to you that is that is in sync with or compliant with the s3 driver so you now have the ability to use laravel's storage with the s3 driver to talk to that disk on your computer nice so basically it mocks like this s3 endpoint right so that you can do testing on your local machine uh and pretend that it's an s3 s3 instance Mm -hmm. right which is great very cool. Very so, cool. but what you can do with this is there's also a Windows driver for Minio. Ah. So what you can do is you can put Minio as a server running on any Windows box and it will expose an S3 compliant API that will give you access to that folder on the Windows file system. Nice. So instead of having to have this, this you know, Laravel app that I'm using to kind of act as my in-between between the file system and whatever... Now, from any of my Laravel applications inside my building hosted on my Linux boxes, I can mm-hmm. say, hey, go talk to this Minio endpoint. And I now have native access, essentially S3 access to the Windows file system. I am free. Very cool. I am Very free. Very cool. It has been incredible. So now I'm like ripping out code left and right. All this stuff that used to have to talk back and forth, <laughs> webhooks bouncing all over the place. I am now no longer having to do that. Minio to the rescue. This is an amazing Very product. Cool. And the thing is, that was this is not what it was made for. 
at all. This no. is made for multi-cloud object storage for Docker. That's what it's for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With this Amazon S3 compa- compatible API. So I'm totally hijacking it. It's not made for this, but it works amazingly. So yeah. anybody who's in that situation, you should definitely check this out. Nice. So you've so you've got Minio running on the Windows machine then? That's right. Yep. So I just downloaded the binary, uh, ran mm-hmm. it. And, and so there's kind of like this other portion of it, which is the server will run by default on port 9000. Mm-hmm. So you can only, so let's say you have like four different like file shares that you need to sh- share. It can only monitor one file share like at a time. Okay. Right? So you point it at yep. a folder and it exposes that as an S3 endpoint. So mm-hmm. what you can do though is you can type uh, in the in the command line as an argument. You can type dash dash address, and then you can specify a different port. So you can have like yep. nine thousand, nine thousand one, nine thousand two, nine thousand three, right? So those mm-hmm. would all be de- different endpoints that you can point to. Uh, there's also yep. a little kind of workaround for by default it would use the same key and secret for all four of those, but mm-hmm. you can there's a little workaround where you can essentially say the config needs to be stored somewhere else and since it no since it's somewhere else it will generate a new config with a new key and secret so i'm going to write mm-hmm. up a blog post on all of it there's also a little couple weird things where like you can't have any underscores in your in your folder names it can't start with an uppercase character yeah a couple little gotchas that are unique to the to minio but uh just little things that we discovered along the way uh and yeah. it's in any case, it's amazing. Certainly things that you'd live with given the pain that you've had. Correct. And, Correct. You know, like this will make your life much easier. And that's that's really cool. I know I've, I've heard about it in the past. I've, I saw Paul's blog post. I haven't really had much use for it only because, uh, as you know, I used Google Cloud uh, at my last job. So we never really did much S3 stuff. And the, you know, we never really had the opportunity to, to play around. I know that I think I'm pretty sure that that Fly System will wrap over um, Google Cloud because Google Cloud storage is an S... Yeah, I mean, it's S3 compatible. They're all kind of the same. What I was going for, though, is that it works so easily cross-platform because it's written in Go. Yes. And I know... I don't know if Jesse Shutt listens to our podcast, but he was asking on Twitter the other day about, you know, why you'd use Go, what Go would be useful for. And that is... For me, as someone who's never used Go, so I'm not I'm not talking about language syntax or anything like that. But for me, the biggest selling point for using Go is that you have that multi-platform, you know, cross-platform binary compilation where you write your code, it wrap you wrap it up, and it will be ready to run on Mac, on Windows, on you know Linux, on whatever as a single binary. Like it handles all of that natively within within the language so um yeah minio is a a great example of of that that sort of deployment strategy and the thing is it's freaking blazing fast honestly like yeah you can go so you can expose a little web address as well so you go to the ip colon 9000 and it it exposes this little web interface and you can see just like you would see like if you had like your s3 console and Mm -hmm. it's it's literally faster than it would be if i was browsing that share on my mac like over the network it's nice it's super fast it works yeah so well honestly it's just been like oh the day that we figured this out i was like on cloud nine i I can't even tell you it was like (laughs) i'm finally free the chains have been broken (laughs) oh it's great so we're just using it for everything yeah yeah so uh, it's it's pretty exciting that is very cool well i'm glad you know we've we've been doing this show a little over over a year now and you've you've pretty much been talking about 
those IIS woes since you know episode one, basically. So yeah, yep. It took a year, but eventually the the technology was there and uh, it solved solved the problem. Dude, it's honestly been like four years. You know what I mean? Seriously, like so I started yeah. developing with Laravel like about three or four years ago, and mm-hmm. and uh, we figured out how to get it to run on IIS because we didn't really have any other options at that point uh, in yeah. our building. Uh, we didn't have like Linux boxes inside, like virtual machines with Linux boxes, but and Forge wasn't released at that time either. So uh, yeah, so it's been, I mean, three years at least that we've been dealing with this mess, but it's all coming to an end. I can there's nice. light at the end of the tunnel, and now it's just time and pull requests away. Yeah, yeah, yep, nice. So, um, speaking of technology catching up, there was a thread on Twitter recently from Maddie Lance posted the original tweet, which basically said, if you're not using WK HTML to PDF for PDF generating, you're nuts. And, you know, you, you said you've been using DOM PDF. I know that we're using FPDF for our PDFs at, at my new job. And we certainly use that at our old job. And uh, it's not particularly nice. I mean, it gets the job done, but it doesn't, right. uh, it's not nice. It's very procedural. Yeah, as I said, it gets the job done, but it's not intuitive. Like you have to plot, you know, you have to put your X and Y coordinates in and you say, I want to put text at this X and this Y. It's not really ideal and it's not fluent at all. Yeah, yeah. So like I I'd created a version of it in this job when I was contracting for them before I started that, that basically just extended FPDF and implemented all of the methods that, you know, that called parent. And then return dollar this. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Just to make it a, just to make it a little bit nicer to use. But then in this thread, I suggested can't you use headless Chrome to print a PDF now? Yeah. That you would spin up that you know WebKit driver, you would generate the PDF, you'd print it, and then you'd spit that out. And of course, our good friends at Sparsi have a package for that called BrowserShot. They do indeed. Um, which which you said that you were gonna have a look at and ditch DOM PDF as a result. Yes. Uh, so- did you? You sound like you've been very busy with Minio. Did you get a chance to have a look much at browser shots? I literally have a pull request right now that we're going to work through that's going to implement browser shots in place of DOM PDF. So yeah, it's it's on the docket. I will certainly report back with my experiences. But I think the thing I'm most excited about is that I'm just going to be able to render a view in the browser, take a look at it, make sure it looks good. And then that's exactly what I'm going to get when I print it nice. out. So it's always been, you know, with Dom PDF, it's always hit and miss. It's like, I can render it in the browser, but good luck getting what you actually rendered yeah. on the browser. Yep. You know, so I think this will be a, a huge improvement and uh, I'm really excited to try it out. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be good. So. Yeah. Well, the fact that you can just render a HTML table, make sure that it looks like what it looks like. Yeah. And in then Chrome. To just use the, yeah. To use the, the print dialogue and just, Save to PDF yep. and it'll be what you expect it to. Exactly. So the issue that was always that that is ever present with tables and things like that is how they split over pages and how you handle that. Yes. But I mean that's that's just a table problem. You know, you've got limitless screen real estate, but you've got like an A4 page or you've right. got letter or legal or whatever you call it over there that's a little bit narrower. I always get than, a mess up. Our, I can never remember which yeah. one's which. <laughs> So, yeah, definitely, definitely report back on how that goes because I would be interested. There's, there's a lot of things that we've got that as a contractor I built into our front, like a customer-facing portal that I didn't really have access to a development environment with 
with the business, I couldn't see the CRM. I, I saw the code, but I didn't see how it all pieced together. So based on the CRM code, I re-implemented that in, in the members portal in Laravel. So it's, it's, it's much nicer in Laravel, but it now means that I have two implementations of a few bits and pieces. And so what we'll talk about on next episode, because I know that you've got to run off. I do. <laughs> but I'd like, I'd like to sort of talk about how we would abstract these kind of things such that maybe all of that duplicated functionality then gets moved to, we, we used to call it a middleware when, my, when I was working at an ISP previously. And middleware was not middleware in, in the sense of the request response lifecycle in HTTP, but it was like, here is this thing that abstracts the database away. So it would be basically an API. But then to have the CRM and the members area make requests to the API and then get responses back with that information in, in JSON. But I'd like, I don't know if you've had any experience with it, but I th- I'd like to potentially talk about some solutions and if any of our listeners have any solutions on you know duplicating that stuff i mean it might just be that i guess the the issue i have is that the crm is is very much hand rolled and then the members area is built atop laravel so i can't package up the models very easily and share them in the into the crm so yeah i'd be interested in if anyone has any thoughts on that kind of implementation where you've got duplicated functionality and how you might abstract it out into some middleware layer. Sounds good to me, man. Let's do it. All right. All right. Excellent. So yeah, if you have suggestions on that, uh, reach out to us on Twitter. Yeah. Thanks everybody for listening to the show. This is episode 34. It is. 34. All right. All right. Episode 34. You can find show notes for this episode at northmeetsouth.audio slash 34. I think they fixed it now. Did they fix it now? They have. They have. Yeah. So okay. we can we can specify slugs now. Thank goodness. Uh, if you like the show, please feel free to rate us up in iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Five-star reviews are always appreciated. If you have any questions or comments, you can hit us up on Twitter at our personal Twitter handles at Jacob Bennett or at Michael Dorinda or at North South Audio. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. We will see you Thank in you so a much. couple weeks. Fingers crossed. All right. Sounds good. Bye. See you, mate. Bye. No, I'm recording. Yep. So my friend sent this up as a joke, this microphone. He knows that I right. record these things and he set it up and was like, haha, this is a joke. And then I was like, actually, forgot my microphone. So joke's on you. I'm going to use it. <laughs> and so I'm using it. So what I'm talking to you on on the computer is actually a different mic than what I'm recording with. So hopefully we're getting everything, but I tested it out. So it should work. Fingers crossed. Very good. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. And we've got to do our intro. So you're good. Go ahead. <laughs> uh